Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Now, today, I'm going to share a very hard sermon. And uh, this is one of those sermons, for those of you who are serious about salvation and your life as a Christian, it's one of those sermons you should not listen to once. It's one of those sermons you should listen to at least twice or more. So I will advise you, listen further and allow your spirit to study what I'm going to share tonight because this is one of the most important sermons I will preach this year. Praise the Lord Jesus. Now, I have had a life of questions because we are allowed to inquire of God. The Bible says one thing that I long for and one thing that I desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Doing what? Beholding His beauty and inquiring in His courts. The presence of God is a place of vision to see God as you have to. But it's also a place of inquiring of God, asking questions, fundamental. And so, when I was a younger man, I witnessed a few things that caused me to ask a few questions, like one of the things that I'm going to share tonight. And I believe some of you have shared similar questions in your heart. And this is the question. How does a person get born again, sit in a church, love God, get a blessing to serve, probably even grow, sacrifice their life, sacrifice their money, sacrifice their time, give in to everything required by God. And then tomorrow, or one day, this person does something or says something or reacts to a circumstance. And you who is observing, you ask yourself, how come this person did not understand? Ever asked yourself that question? How could somebody who I thought understood this act this way? I thought this person has been a reader of the Bible for these years. How can they speak such a statement? How can they act this way? How can they react this way? I thought this person was born again. How could they do this? How could they marry that kind of person? Yet they know the Bible. I thought she was grounded. How can she betray her course in God? 
I thought this person was strong. How did they fall? How did they disconnect from God? How come I hear this person does not go to church? Yet this was the person who brought people to church. This was the individual who was on street preaching. This was the person who was on every church program. What happened? What happened to him? And for as long as humanity exists, you will see and hear those things. You'll see people vying off. In fact, being a student of church history, I've studied revivals, many, but I find that fundamentally there are two major revivals that I find every student, and I'm not talking about people who come to church to get a job. I'm talking about people who really take salvation serious. There are two major revivals that I think you can study. I can even add a third. Um, things like the Great Awakenings of Charles Grandison Finney, movements like the Layman's Revival. Those are the two major ones. I could add a third, Moravian Revivals. And why do I emphasize those revivals? Because those revivals worked in the lives of men and preserved them to the end of their lives. Steady, standing, and serving God to the end. They register more people converted, transformed, and serving God more than many of the other revivals I've read about. Because one thing to have a revival is another for people to stay revived and serving God. They tell you that in the days of Grandison Finney Charles, about 85% and more people which received Christ in that movement stayed born again, comma, and serving God. So it preserved many people. You have revivals today that really come with such a flame. But somebody stands on the pulpit. You've seen revivals. Somebody stands on the pulpit. I'm transformed. I'm changed. And people say, oh my God, this famous artist is born again. This famous is. And two months down the road, they're on television. They're exchanging obscenities. They're fallen. They're gone out. So you ask yourself, what is this that arrested this man or woman in a second, but they disconnected from God in two weeks, two months? four months. So fundamentally, for those of you who are mature, we're going to start now to have a conversation of the quality of revivals. That's why I always insist that revivals that come without reforming the human spirit are not transformational enough to sustain people to the end of their lives, full of God, alive to God, serving God and standing firm. You following what I'm saying? So I see, oh, great moves. People are healed in that time. People are transformed in that time. But what then is the end of the majority of the individuals that are transformed, changed, or healed in that period? Do they become servants of God? Do they stand through the end? Do they keep their marriages? Do they raise godly children? Do they change their nations? Do they touch people's lives? And then we have a challenge there. Are you following what I'm saying? Recently, I've been challenging my American friends who especially leave the U.S. and few of them from Europe. And then they come on our shores to preach the gospel. Up to today, they do that. 
Recently, I met a group said, oh, you know, we're in this nation and God did mighty things and we got a hundred thousand decisions for Christ. And I was like, nah. You don't know what you're talking about. In my spirit, I knew they don't know what they're talking about. Let me tell you, if you have a hundred thousand converted souls in a nation, a hundred, no, even just 50,000 converted souls in a nation, 20,000 truly converted souls in a nation. It's enough to change that nation. Oh, they said they did that in Rwanda. I disagreed. And I said, no. No. Because let me tell you, we still have, in English, they call it cargo cult. In Africa, we still have people who are fascinated with everything that comes from abroad. Everything. If you give them a gift, tell them, I bought this in America. That's a great gift. If you tell them, I bought a bag from Ethiopia. Okay, yeah, Ethiopia is even outside. At least there's something. But you tell them, I bought this bag and it was made from Barara. <laughs> you know? So everything out is what? It's good, it's right. When they're inviting preachers or ministers from, say, America to come and preach, Huh? They don't scrutinize them and go through to sieve them like they do to their own African people. If you tell them, I'm going to preach in a district, you have these famous bishops who are going to say, um, you know, he needs to first meet us and explain his doctrine. But if a wonderful guy from the U.S. is coming for a conference, a crusade here, no, that must be a man of God. You know, they're still colonized here. Are you following what I'm saying? Huh? So, somebody can come with white skin and meet this person, and then they tell them things which almost 70% have not understood because they don't know your English. And then they say, do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because this poor African probably hopes that in receiving Jesus, they might get a sponsorship of their two sons. Come on, somebody help me. And then they say, say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, see, I receive you today. I receive you to receive. I receive, receive you today. It's my personal Lord and Savior. The Lord and Savior. So, and then they say, oh, you are born again now. You're a new creation. You're going to shine in this world. You're going to change it. What's your name again? Alex Toriamuizuka. <laughs> Keep shining. God loves you. So they put a list of that. And then you see them on foreign television stations like TBN or whatever, or God TV, and they're being interviewed by this guy. And we were in Africa in a certain place called Rwanda or in Uganda in a place called Masaka. And we went around preaching the gospel. And then we won, listen, listen, we won 50,000 decisions to Christ. Hallelujah, glory to God. And I'm thinking, nah. Some of them just even want you to go. So as you're saying, can, can, you want to receive Jesus? Yeah. I want to receive Jesus. As in, talk. Let's speak what has to be spoken. No, let's go forward. Some just want visas. The moment somebody receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, this African guy with his broken language that's now, whoa. I am born again. Yeah. Can you take me to America? 
That's the line. That's the line I love most. Um, but Jesus can use you here. Yes, but I want America. <laughs> so am I watering down the efforts of my dear uh, missionaries? No, I'm not watering down the efforts of my dear missionaries because for such men, do we have many of us or some of us alive and serving God? We don't argue that in there we get the right ones, but I think they should reconsider on the method or the model that they use to see how do we consolidate and make sure that what we say is born again is truly born again. There should be a conversation there. That's not what I would want to indulge you with today. It's a minister's thing. But I also want you to know that some of you, that's why you've received Jesus like seven times. Because you realize the first time you were actually joking. You understand? The second time you had a problem. The third time you were sick. The fourth time your mother told you they don't have faith. So the day you really receive him as Lord, some of you really got born again when you came to Fanero. And then you said, now let me go and really receive the real one I've been playing. And you even went before God and said, people look at you like, but we thought you've been born again. <laughs> and you tell him, ah, you don't understand. <laughs> My things are long. My story is long. You understand? Now we are to talk about the quality of Christians or Christianity. Oh, we had a revival and 50,000 people came to Christ. Ah, where are they? Those ones which you claim came to Jesus. This is the challenge. Now, the harder one is we have people in church who are falling in church and they step falling in church and they carry, some of them carry even titles, but they are fallen in church and becoming different. And some go out, but some stay within the church. And so when you see somebody every Sunday or every Thursday coming in, you think, oh, this person is okay. But when you examine, they're actually fallen. They're indifferent and disconnected from what God is doing. Is it possible? Yes, it is possible. Read Proverbs 21 verse 16. It speaks of a man who has wandered out of the way of understanding. He has wandered out of the way of understanding and he remains in the congregation of the dead. They remain in the congregation of the dead. Now, when you study that language deliberately, you will see they were in the way of understanding and they wandered out. Eh? This is not a man who did not connect to understanding. This was a man who had understanding and then he wandered out of the way of understanding. This is somebody who seemed like they knew what they are doing and then one day they wandered out of what was right. So we've seen that in church. That's the question that I've said some of you ask yourself. But this sister was okay. How could she just go and marry an unbeliever? Just like that. She was in church. She was born again. Lo and behold, we hear the sister married a Muslim person. He's like, eh -eh. But she was interceding. But she was a prophetess. What, what happened? Wandered out of the way of understanding. And when a man wanders out of the way of understanding, the Bible says they get into the congregation of the dead. There's some called the congregation of the dead. Not all the people you see are born again, are really alive. Not all the people you see are speaking in tongues, know what they're saying. Not all the people you see serving in the church are actually there. So if you're not 
prepared in your spirit with enough understanding, you could actually be stumbled by what some people do in the church or how they respond and react to it. So some of you think that because this person has been with you this long, therefore they know what they're doing. Some honestly don't. And this someone is meant to help some of you to align some of you back into the way of understanding because I see that that is the next challenge in the world that every day we see people wandering off and it's even worse, it even gets on to us ministers. And you see a person and they wander off. They teach something and you're like, eh, this person has been consistent. How then do they teach this? In Uganda, a couple of years ago, when Idi Amin had just been ousted, the church prayed him out, he was underground. Remember, that was one of the times the church uh, of the born again movement was persecuted most. And many churches went underground and Idi Amin refused to recognize the Balokole or born again uh, group. And these people went praying and a lot was done in there. That was a time I believe most believers prayed most in the history of our nation. And you know, this man is out and then the church has come from the underground and come on top and they start to see such glory, anointings, healings, deliverances, miracle signs and wonders that were astounding. There was a man, I will not mention his name, he was among the most notably anointed voices in Uganda, probably among the top three anointed men in this nation. Very, very demonstrative of power, very prophetic, very healing, very distinct, was on course. And then one day he just wakes up with a revelation that actually in the Bible, Solomon married these many wives, David married these many wives. There's nowhere where we refuse to marry more than one wife. And the man started vying off, he wandered off. And the next thing we know, with all that anointing, he added a second wife and, and you know, he continued marrying. And then his brook dried. God has a way of taking those names out, except those that lived in the 70s or late 70s into early 80s who had enough understanding and were probably in the movement already. Some know the person, some of you don't even know because God can cover it and take that name out. You see? And he's no more. He's no more. His name is not hard and not many things are spoken of him because what he became, the kingdom cannot associate with. The brook dried so early of a very potent seed. He wandered off the way of understanding. The story is given and I will not mention again the name. I know the person, uh, but those of you who want to search, go and search. There is a fellow in Sweden who was leading the most notable movement of revival there in the recent past. This guy had gone and consumed all these uh, word of faith movements of the Kagins and he understood present truth, the doctrines, the Andrew Marks are teaching and stuff. He really got it there. He was up there. He was preaching present truth. Of course, he went through several persecutions by his own uh, Pentecostal people. And you know, if you're raised by God in a time where the grace on your life is scarce, you're bound to have all manner of attack. If you don't fit in, if you have distinctive grace and anointing, if you have something on your life that is unusual, you're bound to be attacked. So if you don't allow God to deal with your heart, you could be destroyed by your detractors. You know, I always tell people, one wise man said that no man can move the hearts of men when he has not moved the heart of God. And that is true. Some people forget that, that before you move the hearts of men, you must touch the heart of God some way. You must have a certain place with God 
you don't just move hearts. If you're not doing politics, if you're not playing church, and every day people gather to hear you, there must be something you have with God. And that is something, especially men which are in the congregation of the dead, don't understand. They don't seem to understand. So you ask this person, if you're praying for what a man has and God gives it to them every day, what are the chances that you're actually fighting the God who put it on him? Or wasn't God seeing you to put that on her? Because remember, God ordains against hearts. He looks at hearts. Some of you, some things are so heavy for your hearts to be able to carry. Bible says in Proverbs, when you carry such a foolish spirit and you are elevated by God in grace, you will go to slippery places and in the ways of destruction. Some of our people are destroyed very early and set in slippery places because they were elevated in grace, but the spirit operating on them was not wise. It carried no understanding. So to undergird and keep that for a year, two years, three, four, five years, it's not an easy thing. It takes so much grace. And some of you might never know. This wonderful minister, I think, carried so much. But the devil identified the part in him that he had not dealt with. He was not delivered from criticism and persecution. And as you continue to grow in God, you realize God cannot make you immune to criticism before he makes you immune to praises. Do you understand what I'm saying? Before he kills that place that elevates you because you're praised. Until you get to a point where it's not important whether they praised you or persecuted you, it does not change who you are or your place with God because he has dealt enough with you not to seek a man's praise or a man's persecution or criticism. Some of you look at the critic part and find that as a problem and then welcome all the praises that come to you and through that Jezebel comes in, through that manipulative spirits come in, through that some of your enemies, those which actually are praising you are setting you up to destroy your life but you do not know because you cannot tell the difference. If God has to consecrate you to himself to put some immunity on you from the criticisms of men, he also has to immunize you from their praises. So you get to a point where it's only his praise of you that matters and his criticism of you that matters. If he is to critique you, he is your God. If it is to praise you, he is your God. And what's important to you is when you hear him say, well done. Doesn't no matter what they think. Because I've seen places where men can praise you and then you go in the praise and they'll say, what you did was foolish. But the men are praising that because they cannot tell the difference. But he's telling you that what you have done is foolish. So it's important to keep him shaking you white and examining you against his purposes and will, not what men have over in your life. So this man was criticized, persecuted. And then out of that, he was offended by persecution. Then he denounced the faith openly. And then he said, from today, I'm Roman Catholic. He denounced so what about the thousands of young men and women that had sold everything they had and left their families and disengaged with their activities to follow this dream? Many of them, their dreams were shattered and they were broken and they lost faith in what he taught and the God that he introduced because it's all they knew. And sometimes you never know just how much one of your decisions can affect people. Remember the story of Jesus. These people sold everything and followed him. Imagine 
if he fell and wandered off the way of understanding. I'm not talking about those personal weaknesses that can be dealt with through restoration when you are applicable to the pattern of submission. Those are small things. A man can mess up and he's restored. I'm talking about the places of the heart where a man vies off understanding. And how do you know they have? When they start to regard and support what is wrong in truth. I don't have a problem with a man who says, you know, I messed up and slept around, but I want restoration. Then a man who can build a doctrine to justify his adultery or fornication. You get the difference? Eh? Because this one is routing mischief by some law. Are you following what I'm saying? So I believe the boys and girls that he raised in that nation were saying, what happened to this man? What did we miss? How could he not see this? You know, it's like you're in a relationship for years. Some of you are married understand this. And your spouse says something. You're like, wow. After all of these years, you don't understand me. After all of these years we've been together, he doesn't understand me. How could he think I said that? Aha, uh -huh. you see that feeling? How could he assume that's what I meant? So like it would happen in your marriage, it happens with God all the time. And sometimes there are things we do or say and heaven is like, how could she have not understood? How come this person was connected to such a great thing and they did not understand it? Why were they blind before what God had placed in their lives? And I tell you, apostolically, those are tears. There are things that make me weep. If there are things that I have wept over, if there are things of whose scars I can reveal, is the years that you would invest in someone and you give everything you know. You're waiting for them. You're tarrying for them. You're fasting for them. You're giving everything for them. And then they wake up and do something. Or say something. That actually reveals to you they never understood. They never understood. Some of your parents have children. You're taken aback to their birth. The joys they brought in your home. The schools you went to. Perhaps in high school, they messed up and they were suspended from one school and then you took them to another. Those days when the last penny on your account was what could pay that term fees. But they will never understand it because you came to school in a nice car. Perhaps they realized they were more advantaged than other kids. The times you went through financial crisis and they never knew because you could not tell them they were children. The time they asked for pocket money and you could not give them much because what they were asking for was the very capital you needed to pay the fees. And the kid says, my father is selfish. Every time he comes home with bundles, but he gives me very little pocket money. But they don't know that that 10 million of bundle was all the capital you had. Then you take them to school. And then you hear that your child has been expelled. Um, he was caught jumping the fence back into the school. He broke out at midnight with his friends and he went to club. And then you look at the children your child broke out with and you realize that these parents' kids have made so much that some of those kids, they never need to work in their own lifetime. And you look at your son and you realize that he is all you have. He's the fastling of everything, 
the primogenitor at that. Perhaps you've taken him to school to have the education you never had the opportunity to have. Some of us, some of the things we gave them or give them, we never had an opportunity. We didn't have the fathers they have. We didn't have the patience we gave them. We were not given the long suffering we had with them. And then somebody wakes up and they do something. And as a parent, your heart sinks. Because you're like, I wish my daughter knew that she's an orphan. I wish she knows that I'm a single mother and I have nobody in the world to help me. I wish she knew I'm alone, even though their father is alive. I wish this boy understood that the money I gave them, I had to sell my property. And lo and behold, he has been gotten with the richest kids. They have suspended them. These kids are going to leave an inferior school and their parents are going to take them to Miami because they are too stubborn in Uganda. Do you understand what I'm saying? And with you, you're going to have to borrow money for the next term and look for a school and carry the shame of a son who has never understood the sorrow you carry in your heart and the dream you have for them. I was talking to a mother recently. She took her children to the best schools, best private schools, somewhere in the nation out here. These kids have had the best opportunity in life. This mother came from the poorest place in this nation. Poorest place. People who come from there don't come out. And somehow by God's grace, she made it, went into the UK and has built She didn't have much, but everything she earns, she wants her children to have the best education. And you walk into your room, and your boy is taking weed. He's smoking weed. He's smoking his destiny away. This little boy has no clue the sacrifices of this mother. Some of you are still young to understand this. How does that woman grieve to see loss? Because this boy has started drugs. And chances are he's going to take them until one day he's 35 and he's in rehab. And the brain is fried. He'll never be the father she dreamed. He'll never be the grandfather, the son she should know. The one who should look after her in old age to pay her of all her sacrifices. And hard labor, the sweat and blood of her seed is dying before her eyes and there's nothing she can do. Paul says, my spiritual children, for whom I labor for in birth pangs until Christ be formed in you. So the pain, many of you are mothers, or some of you are mothers, that pain you feel when you're pushing, especially your first child. Paul likens that pain to the pain he carries for some people in church. For some people in church. And they're like this parent trying to talk sense in their boy, and the boy just doesn't seem to understand. Is somebody following? We carry those punks too. And there are things that pain, it's that to say, this that I invested in this person for so many years, when I forego the time I should spend with my family to pour into this individual, I expected them to know better, but they don't. And they do or say something that proves that they have wandered off the way of truth or understanding. Now the Hebrew word there for understanding vying off or wandering off the way of understanding, Proverbs 21.16, is saukar, meaning they have lost their prudence. Understanding is prudent. 
their circumspect life, their divine insight, their divine intelligence. Because you can be intelligent in the way of the world, but not intelligent in the ways of God. You see, some of you, you excelled 90, 80%. You know, I come from a family. <laughs> One time I got a first grade, but I didn't get 199, and my father put me down. He was going to whoop me. My sister had to save me. Some of us came from families that had a problem with you having 70. Some of you come from families. Where, when you get 50, eh? It's a party. Eh, 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 eh. That boy, mm, here, upward. Smart. You get 70s, they take it for ice cream and buy you even a gift. Some of us 80s was not enough. We'll get you caned. The man wanted a hundred. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? But that's for the world. And some of you assume that because somebody's smart in class, they're smart in the things of God. No! Divine intelligence is different. The wisdom of this world is fallen, it's corrupt, it's brought to nothing. And you can excel in that, but its form and birth is corrupt and it ends in corruption. I'm talking about the wisdom of God, which is eternal. That one, it's forever. Someone loses the intellect of God. The other word also for Saukal is pondering. They don't ponder. They do also things where it shows that they don't think through. Okay, you're talking about this man. Have you considered he has a wife? That's pondering. You're speaking evil about this woman. Have you considered she has children who watch television? You're saying things about this brother. Do you know he too has a family and has parents too, like you do? She has a dream like you do. Do you ponder sometimes when you say certain things? Do you ponder sometimes when you do certain things to certain individuals? You've hired this person, but you're cheating them. Every month you're not paying them. Do you consider that this man you have not paid for the last four months has a wife and children to take to school? So for a man to vie off or ward off from the way of wisdom or understanding, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly what I'm talking about. So someone does or says something and they're like, eh, did you think this through before you typed it on Facebook? Did you read this through before you put it on YouTube? Did you ask the right questions and align them to the gospel before you chose to make this broadcast? No, they didn't think through. The Bible calls that going off, wandering off the way of understanding. Now the Spirit of the Lord gave me a term one time in prayer. Like I said, some of the things I'm speaking, my human language will never have the power to put in two words. You know, because we might never be as articulate as we want to express ourselves. But one time I said, God, give me a word for this. And the Spirit of the Lord called it the wanderings of a lasting men. Or the wanderings of lasting men. Lasting, a lasting someone. The wanderings of lasting men or a lasting men. Now, these wanderings, you could equate that to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, if you read that. The Bible tells us when the serpent finds Eve and Adam in the garden. He shows them a fruit. Tells them that if you eat of this fruit, the Bible says your eyes will be open and you shall be as gods, knowing both good and evil. Wow. 
So Adam and Eve look at it. And the sixth verse in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the Bible says she took the fruit thereof and did eat it and also gave unto her husband and he did eat. Now the word there, able to make one wise. The word there, wise, is the same word, salkal, which is used in Proverbs 21, 16 as understanding. What does that mean? It meant that the serpent deceived Adam and Eve to hunger or, in my language, to lust for a higher prudence, a higher knowledge, a higher revelation, a higher pondering, to circumspect higher, to see higher, to have a, a higher divine insight, to have an elevated divine intellect to be as gods able to know what is good and evil. Adam and Eve lusted for a higher glory of revelation. And many of us don't think actually for a second to examine this that the fall of man as we know it is not just in the eating of a fruit God forbid but deeper than that it's in seeking higher than what God had given them because they were blind to what was available for them. God had given man everything. Everything. He had given Adam and Eve everything, including eternal life in the body. But Satan tricked them and deceived them to go in to transaction for a higher realm of wisdom, higher realm of prudence, higher realm of divine insight. Were they against God? Adam and Eve did not have a problem with God. They were not enemies to God. No, neither did they want to be as gods so they can outseat God or oust him. Let me use that word. They didn't want to overthrow him. In fact, Satan used the word gods. They just wanted the higher level of knowledge. They just wanted the higher level of revelation. They wanted the higher experience. And what looked like hunger was actually lust. The wanderings of a lasting man. The Spirit of the Lord called it. So you find that somebody thinks that they are looking for something higher, but yet that higher thing they're looking for does not exist. If they should exercise themselves in a higher realm, they can only go to deception. They can only go into delusion. They can only go into distraction. Are you following what I'm saying? But they do not know. Oh, I think I'm not getting answers. I think I'm not getting answers wherever. And I'm talking about any church. You see that. You know, we have people who are church hoppers. They go church to church. I think I'm not getting answers. I want marriage. I'm trying to marry. I'm prayed for marriage. I'm, no, this is not working. And then you tell the person, but... You just need to look next to you. And the person you're seated next to has been in the church, same church receiving the same message and they're married. So is the problem the church? No, no, no. I'm tired of financial strain. I'm struggling financially. But the person you're seated next to just got a promotion last week. They have a new car and a new house. So why is it that this person you're seated next to is financially elevated, but you're still stuck where you are? 
Is the problem still with your pastor? Oh no, I think this is not the church. Let me go for a higher glory. Look for a higher glory. Look for something that is able to make you wiser and make you as gods. Who has understood what I just said? But the thing you're looking for, perhaps that's what God has given for that generation. He's not going to give more. You can assume there is more, you can seek more, but you're going to go and seek and God is going to throw you back and tell you, but you didn't understand what I gave you primarily. I tell people, how can you say that you're looking for healing, yet every day you see people healed? Every day. Every day. The same anointing moves, bypasses you, and goes on the woman next and heals her body. And then it bypasses you and goes on a non-believer who has just visited the church for the first time and they throw their clutch and start walking and you keep your fibroid. And then it goes and finds another person. Perhaps they were out of church for 20 years. The day they visited, they came with a missing tooth and it grew and bypasses you and leaves your home stuck and goes to the next man who has a cancer and it leaves them. You've seen people carried from Mulago. They've never been to church. They don't even speak the English. They don't understand the revelations you sit under every day. And somebody gets that and they're brought on a mat and then they walk up and start walking through their clutch or walk off the bed of sickness. That anointing bypassed you. God was watching you. And then it went on another man and did exploits. And you still think the problem is the preacher. You've wandered of the way of understanding. So that tells you, you think that if you're going to leave your church, you think that when you go to the next church, the Holy Spirit will look at you and say, now that you're here, let me come for you. If he's the same spirit that walked in that church where you left, chances are there's one common denominator, you. Are you following what I'm saying? If you've not understood what God has given you, but you're yearning for more, how can God give you more when you're not faithful with the little you know? And some of you, that's the real problem. Your problem is not failing to get married. Your problem is not failing to have kids. Your problem is not failing to get a job. Your problem is not that sickness that has stayed in you. Your problem is you have not even finished with what God gave you. But you're unsatisfied with this because the devil threw you into a form of lust and you cannot separate the lust from the true hunger of the spirit. You're feeling hungry, not because there was no food, but because you're not even comfortable with what you're eating. And you find a guy saying, me, I'm only going to eat if you bring the food I want. You're going to die. And you cannot eat that food because you're looking for a better meal. You say, you know, if it's not chicken, I'm not eating. But you've not eaten for four days. Your body is going to shut down. No, I've said if it's not chicken, I'm not eating. This is chicken too. No, it's not. Maybe it is chicken. But your taste changed. Your taste glands changed. And you have a problem thinking you're not eating chicken, yet it's actually chicken. And then somebody brings lentil soup. And you put lentils in your mouth and you sell your birthright. And as you're eating it, you're screaming, I love this chicken. 
That's what happened to Esau. He sold his birthright for a muzzle of what? Meat. <laughs> he didn't know the difference. He didn't know what he had. He didn't know what he had. He didn't care for what he had. So you find a person, they are like that and they are stuck. You don't know how to help such a person because their problem cannot go in a deliverance service. No special apostle can fix it. No YouTube preacher can fix it. No distinct prophet can prophesy it. No teacher can teach it because they've skipped the queue. They've broken a pattern that they need to go back and firstly understand or learn from those for whom it is working. One time a guy finds me in a bank and I seated in one corner there. Then he looks at me and then he shakes his head. Then he looks at me like this then he shakes his head. <laughs> he looks at me the third time and smiles and then shakes his head. So people are looking at me. We're both looking funny. Maybe the guy in the bank is thinking, hmm, why well, this guy has this person's money? So he's saying, now I've found you. I don't know. Many things run into your head. So the guy after some time walks and says, Apostle Grace, I wish your people knew what's on your life. So I said, what do you mean? He said, I came to your church once and I was stuck financially for so many years. Then I had one sermon. I got that CD, bought it, put it in my house, listened to it night, day, evening. One CD to understand one sermon. And in there I got a vision of God. And the Lord told me something so profound. And out of that, I landed one of the biggest projects in Southern Sudan. It's worth hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions. Then he went on the counter and withdrew a lot of money. I won't tell you how much. Then he came and put it in my hands and says, thank you for preaching the gospel. One sermon. One. There was a person seated in that very service. But the landlord is going to hang them tomorrow morning. Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe that someone didn't even work. They're looking for a deeper revelation on their financial situation. Keep seeking. You'll find us here. One, 10 years, 15, 20, they return eventually and say, eh, okay. Are you following what I'm saying? That is why he speaks of a group who have become dull in hearing. They're dull of hearing. So even when he speaks, they cannot receive because the problem is how they hear and what they hear. Are you following me, child of God? It's how they hear. It's how they hear. It's what they hear and how they hear. Why does somebody hear that message? One message and it changes their lives. And then you sit under the same message, same God, and it won't work for you. Refuse that. Everything God has sent for you, it should work for you. Everything you sit to hear, if it is from heaven, it should carry its consequence of divine answer in your life. Shout amen. So, you find that somebody can sit in church and start to lose what they were given. Revelation can drift away. It's an eternal inheritance. 
but it must be understood constantly and reminded in your spirit constantly for it to manifest its work in your life. You can lose revelation. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1, He warns, Therefore we ought to give the more honest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time we should let them sleep. Is that me saying? No, it's the Bible. You must take honest heed, more honest heed to the things which you have heard, lest at any time you should let them sleep. So you can lose a very deep revelation and let it sleep. Let it go. Lose it. You have a revelation for your healing. It's there. And when you received it, you listened to it, it kept your body healthy. And then one day you let it slip away. When it does, the very disease you've been rebuking comes back and gets a hold of you. And then you start dealing with pain. Now you have to go back and listen to that sermon. You see? He says you should not let it slip away. Verses 2, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? The Bible says, If we neglect so great salvation, which had first begun to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard it, if we neglect, so how does it slip away when we neglect it? Some of you neglect divine instruction for another, a better fruit. You see, think, for a better fruit. Okay, so since then you started eating better fruits. What has happened in your personal life? What has improved? Unmarried, check. Not all unmarried people, by the way, are out of God's will. Some people are unmarried entirely on God's plan. So don't judge every unmarried person. But also, I tell my daughters, if you are the kind of person who is desperate to get married, you've already wandered off the way of understanding. You've lost the picture. If you're desperate to get a job, you've wandered off. If you're desperate to have children, your womb is not opening, you have wandered off. Every time you see a desperate in your spirit, I want you to know that you're off the course. For example, why do you want to marry when you've not found purpose? What are you going to help? Help her. Oh no, you know why she's like that? She's crying because her best friends are all what? Married. But there are people who had to firstly wander off the way of understanding to get married. And those are the people you're weeping over and crying and reminding God, me, what did I do? Me, what did I do? You see, you're complaining, but your eyes are admiring a fallen oracle. Somebody has actually wandered off the way of understanding. They've probably married the wrong person. And that's what makes you weep. Because the reason why you want to get married is you're lonely. Oh, my friends are married, so I want to get married. Oh, dear you. You've lost it. I wish you understand that God wants you. He just wants you to himself. He wants you. He wants to build his dream and purpose on you. He wants, let me tell you, there is a place in God where the anointing on your life cannot struggle for the needs of the world. Do you understand? But also I want you to mark that there are people who have even refused what you're dying for, for the sake of the kingdom. 
Like I told you, lust and hunger are the same. A man went to a witch doctor and said, I want wealth. And the witch doctor said, you'll have to sacrifice your first son. And he said, let's do it. He loved his son. But he was lusting for money more than the life of his own boy. And he sacrificed him. And I got a lesson to learn there. The Spirit told me that the fallen men of this world are willing to sacrifice for their lastings what Christians cannot hunger for in purpose, divine purpose. What Christians cannot sacrifice for in divine purpose. If a man can give his son, how much more can he give God if he's born again? Have you asked yourself why God chose to give us a story of Abraham and him asking for Isaac? Have you ever pondered why he asked for Isaac? The Bible says, and as he got this knife to kill his boy, he told him, don't kill him. And a ram came out of a thicket, caught in a thicket, became the sacrifice. But literally, Abraham killed his son. That's the man that mothers nations. That's the price of his sacrifice. And I have to compare him to the Christian who was all fervent and on zeal and flames for God. And now they cannot do the things they're supposed to do in the kingdom because they got married. Yet some gave up their marriages. Somebody disconnects from serving God because now they have children. And some were willing to sacrifice their children for Mormon. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nothing in this world should ever stand between you and God. And there is nothing you should never be willing to give for God. Some of you are just a boyfriend away. They don't even need to put a ring on you. You just need to find a hot boy and your pastor will have trouble with you. You just need to find a beautiful girl and we shall have trouble with you coming to church. But people have sacrificed more than you could ever imagine. Now, if a man in the fallen world can sacrifice his son, how much more then does God require of us? Because God no longer wants human sacrifices. God then asked for human sacrifices. Jesus was sacrificed and that's enough. What does he want? Our hearts our bodies as living sacrifices. Somebody shout hallelujah. Are you following what I'm saying? So we find that we neglect. We neglect. We put away and disregard what is to serve us. Jesus tells his people once and he says, woe unto you. For if the works that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, it would still be standing. But some of you, what God has given you, if some people had just 10% of what you have, they'll still be standing. And they fell because they did not have what you now neglect. Only heaven can help some of you maturely interpret this. <sighs> that a man's life and destiny was destroyed. Lord lost children there. 
Some of Lot's children died there. And sons. Some refused to follow him. Because there was a revelation that was not in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that revelation for some of you is in your home every day. It's on your laptop every morning. It's on your app. You even look at the devotion and look away because you're so busy. But if some had this thing, they would shake this world. The challenge with some of you is you have not understood the ways of God. You don't know how he comes. That is why many people miss Jesus. He's born in a manger. Nazareth, poorest place. Can any good come from there? And that's how God does it. He will choose the least expected place to raise somebody or raise people or bring your healing. Oh, but you want him in the familiar because your wandering lust pushes you to pursue for what does not exist. And that's the highest form of deception because you'll never find it. And some of you have pursued for years and still can't find. You're not seekers. You're lusting. But you don't know the difference. That's the difference. That the man who sacrificed his son for money was lusting. But he does more than what a Christian can do. Hungering for God. These are hard sentences. <laughs> Even I don't want to talk about these things. Because they awaken many things for us all. But we can not only preach the other good part and not have a hard conversation on some of these things. Because that is the very reason why we are losing people every day in the church. People are dying in the church. Marriages are failing in the church. Diseases are killing people in the church. Careers are dying in the church. People are getting destroyed in the church. Not outside. Because we understand if they're getting spoiled outside or destroyed. But we don't understand when we lose them here. Are you following what I'm saying? We cannot lose you when you come to church every day. What about your time and money that you have put in every week to come before the presence of God? It should be able to reward some sort in your life. Now we're living a deceived life. One time I was in the U.S. and I entered a church and asked to preach and I sat there and I started weeping. And some around me, I think, could have assumed that maybe the presence of God. This was my pain. I sat in a church that was dead Bible calls them twice dead and they did not know because they carried the form of being alive. If you read about the seven churches in the book of Revelation, study Sardis, Revelation chapter 3. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write this thing, says he that has the seven spirits of God, the seven stars. He says, I know thy works, the things they are doing in church, good things that you have a name that you live, yet you are dead. What an irony. Everything they do seems to be as though they are alive, but they are dead. I found this in a church. My heart started weeping because everything they were doing was a congregation of the dead, but they had a deception that they were alive. 
And that is why I have a challenge with the new Pentecostal movements, the newer version of Pentecostalism. We call them neo-Pentecostal. They don't build on the core principles of Christianity. And so people go to church as if they are going to listen to a guru, to listen to a wise man with a lot of wisdom concerning the world, to sit in a counseling session, to tell them things they already know, but they would rather hear from another man because they cannot hear themselves when their hearts are speaking. That's why we have now to teach, especially the growing generation, about inner wisdom. How to build wisdom in your inner man. The Bible calls it a wise heart. Because what reconciles the knowledge of God to the judgments. For you to be able to judge things the way you ought. And we're losing that every day. How do you know? Look at some of the churches and the things they're tolerating on the altar. The things they're able to tolerate on the altar. You switch on television and recently the Lord was warning me. One of the churches, the Bible says that they tolerate the woman Jezebel and eat things offered to idols. And I had a vision of some gospel artists, some who literally are in idolatry, but they don't know. They don't know. They're idols of themselves. <laughs> and these are things we're eating on altars. And then we ask ourselves why raw power has left the altar. The church of Jesus Christ should not lose power. We're not talking about power. I'm not just talking about that which promotes you. Talk about that which should get cancer out of your body when you need it to get cancer out of your body. The Bible says it's dynamic in nature. So the Bible speaks of how they eat food offered to idols. You ask how? It's not only our ministers, worshippers, some of even the people we put on the pulpit to teach, and they teach idolatry. Church was never meant to be fun. Church was meant to have the joy of the Holy Ghost. There is a difference between two. Fun is when you are entertained enough to stir your emotions to excitement. The joy of the Holy Spirit is the work on the Holy Ghost on you. To elevate you above your carnal self and give you a deeper vision of God. So today you hear churches like, oh, you guys, come for this, you know, uh, what do you call it? Holiday Makers Conference. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to have this. We're going to have these artists. We're going to have these preachers. It's going to be fun. See you there. But you can have fun on a secular concert. You can have fun in a movie. You can have fun on a recreational center at the beach somewhere playing volleyball with your friends. You can have fun playing basketball. Church is not a place of fun. It's a place of joy in the Holy Spirit. Where what excites me, elevates me above myself and gives me a deeper vision of God. I'll never forget the first time I entered in one of those wonderful churches. Very wonderful church. This guy preached for a few minutes and then he said, God is going to give you joy. And the power of God came in the room. A woman started laughing under the Holy Spirit. She had just come in the church. 
and was baptized in the spirit by the evidence of speaking in tongues when she had never spoken in tongues. And when she started laughing, the laughter was so contagious and then it caught another person. Second person laughed and fell off a chair. It hit the church. Some were laughing at how these ones were laughing. The spirit of God got into the room, took over. Tumors started leaving people as they were laughing. New converts started speaking in other tongues as they were laughing. Deaf ears started to open as they were laughing. Fibroids started disappearing out of women's stomachs. A woman laughed and laughs and laughs for six hours. By the time she stands up, all the fibroids she had, she's due for, for an operation. They have all left the body. Come on, understand raw power. Someone came in with depression and they were next to bipolar. They were running mad because they were depressed. They laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And from that day, that woman is the most laughing person I know. Depression literally lifted. A woman laughed for six hours, got slain in the spirit and woke up and she could prophesy. Those are the things I'm talking about. That is not fun. Because it's not funny. It's not something to be laughed at. It's something to experience. And when we lose raw power, what happens? People just gather to hear nice words. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not in word alone. Come on, somebody. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not in word alone, but it is in the power of God unto salvation. That a man's soul will be saved. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. Why are those days where some people just laugh into consecration? Now that's fine. And it's okay, by the way, to laugh in church. You should know that it's okay to laugh in church. It's okay for a pastor to crack a joke and we laugh because the presence of God is a place of liberty. But I'm talking about a liberty that should not throw us into carnality. Because I've seen many people laugh even when God is telling them, keep quiet, I want to speak. And I've had people laugh and they go back home and commit suicide. I've had people laugh and they go back home and their marriages break. I'm talking about somebody laughing and they laugh out a tumor. Do you understand what I'm saying? We want God to give us his version of things. You see what I'm saying? So, the church in Sardis has a reputation that they are alive, that they are dead. So I sit in this church and I see people who are dead and they don't know that they are. But they think that when you worship God and put on a smoke machine, it's alive. They think that when you switch on nice cameras and lights, it's alive. They think because you have many young people coming, jumping through, it's alive. It's not alive because you have the acoustics right. It's alive because the Holy Spirit is in these people. That is why you see many of the churches, and I'm sorry to say, especially in the United States and a few in Europe, they don't have raw power. A guy can't just teach and a lame man walks or a blind eye or nothing. They can't worship a tumor out or a cancer out of a person's body. So it's just pleasing to the ears. It's just entertaining. Especially in the elite group, those of you who went to school, the psychologies of men's instructions have corrupted our vision of the true experience that we must have in God. Are you following what I'm saying? 
So he tells them, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. That means they've lost a lot of things. But he's telling them, strengthen that which remains and that are ready to die. He's telling them, there are things you still have. First begin by keeping those ones and then rebuild to construct yourself back to pattern and purpose. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Verses 3, remember how thou has received and heard. You see? You see, it has come back again. He's telling Sardis, remember how you received and heard. You were in a service, but you didn't hear right. You were in a service, but you did not receive right. Maybe you dishonored the teacher. Maybe you disrespected the woman of God. Maybe you were bitter in your spirit. Maybe you were indifferent. Maybe something in you became funny. And so you did not receive as you ought to have received. You did not hear as you ought to have heard. Rebuke came on the altar and you took it like an attack on your person. And God said, no, listen to the love that was trying to restore you. But you took it personal and became bitter and took offense where God was loving in you into salvation. Now your life is breaking apart. You're stuck. You're in slippery places. You're losing inheritance. Like I said, when you know how to deal with this, like Abraham fathered our generation, this is the secret that fathers nations, mothers nations. Walk in understanding. Walk in understanding. Now, remember how you received and had and hold fast and repent. If therefore you shall not watch, I will come as a thief and you shall not know what hour I will come. And God lifts off certain things. You read in the verses following. Certain things start disappearing in your experiences with God. But you also don't know why. Certain things are not working, yet they used to work. Certain things are not functioning, yet they used to function. No, but it's working for another man. So it's not your preacher. It's not your pastor in your church. Those of you are watching across the world. Problem with you, darling. But you can't fix it. Your hearing becomes dull. Hebrews 5.11 Paul comes to them and says, I have many things to speak about this God of whom we have many things to say. But she, he says, you are dull of hearing. So these things are hard to be spoken. And I realize this. When a man's heart is stunned against God and their ear is stunned against him. What Paul calls hard to be uttered, I've been in spaces where I want to say to some people certain things, but I can't. Yet I know they can save them. And I want to, but I can't. Because I realize they will not hear the Spirit. They will not hear what God is saying. Again, that becomes pain. It becomes pain because you can't cast everything to everyone. It might destroy you and destroy everything you have. Some of them, you have to deal with them like you're dealing with a babe so you can keep them alive. Do you understand what I'm saying? But I've seen that all the time. So when Paul says hard to be uttered, sometimes it's not that the language is not there, but that, because sometimes the language of the spirit is as articulate as the heart is open. To receive of God. Language is defined from the heart. Are you following me, child of God? So, in the time when they ought to be teachers, verses 12, they have need that one teach them again that which be the first principles of the oracles of God and have become as those that need of milk and not of strong meat. They began well, grew up and started receiving meat. Then at one particular point, they started wandering off the way of understanding now God takes away the meat and starts to give them the milk. 
let's go back. You didn't understand the first principles. In the time when you're supposed to be teaching people about godly order, you're rebellious against his order. Let's go back and understand how do I build order in the church? In the time when you're supposed to be providing financially, you're borrowing and not even paying people who you borrow from and you're stealing people's money. Oh, let's go back and understand the principles of building finances because you fail to understand. In the time when you ought to be building houses for other people, you're still struggling to pay monthly rent. Let's go back to the milk. You see? And then that person sits in the church and that day the preacher is preaching strong meat. And because it's familiar, they assume that everything familiar is revelation or that they already know. You understand what I'm saying? So God gets lost in the familiar as they look for the spectacular. And it's not there because they lost him here. The child cannot begin on meat. They have to first take milk. Then from milk, go to the meat. Who is following what I'm saying? So God says, no, you skipped this step. Let us go back. And somebody says, no, instead of going back, I would rather change the church. <laughs> because I think that by changing the teacher or preacher or shepherd, they will skip the pattern or stage. No, you will go back someday. It might take 15 years, it might take five years, 20 years. Sometimes it might be even too late to go back because by the time, you know, seasons and times evolve, by the time you want to go back, your natural body might not be adjustable because you've lost a lot of time. Or it might not be the season. God will have switched the graces. So by the time you connect to that thing, you should have connected to them. Its grace is not available because the generation and the time of heaven has evolved into the next level. You must be in tune, in tandem and on time with heaven. Are you following what I'm saying? So he says, they don't require strong meat for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness and they stay babes. He says, but strong meat belongs to them who are full of age, those who are matured. And how do they mature? Those who by reason have their senses exercised to design both good and evil. There's some sort of spiritual exercise that is necessary to mature into every instruction. So God will trust you with stronger meat every day. That which you don't exercise, you lose. That which you don't use, slips away. So you must be one that exercises themselves in the things you are taught. So there are three things I want to leave with you before we close. To help you walk in understanding, stay attuned to God. The Bible says, for if these things be in you and abide, you shall not fall. So there's a possibility of you staying steadied and upward only. It's possible by God. You shall not fall. You will not fall. And it's in Proverbs 8. There are three things I want to give us from verses 32. Three things you should never forget. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. That's number one. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Every instruction that comes from the altar, do it because it's for your good. It might not even have a correlation to your need. Let me give you an example. You are looking for a job. You're looking for a job. And maybe the job that is set for you in life, you're going to be a marketeer selling products 
or you're working for Airtel and you're going to sell a MiFi router. That's where God has blessed you. You're going to meet people every day selling a MiFi router. That's important for that business. The bigger picture for that nation. The macro of things. Okay? It's important. Now, by heaven, if you can be paid a million shillings of 500,000, probably some money uh, to retain against your sales of a month, and you can be paid a million shillings to speak every day on phone to convince somebody to buy a MiFi router. Hmm? Think about it from that perspective. How much will heaven pay you to convince a man into salvation? If a man in the world can pay you for selling, for marketing a product, how much can heaven or would heaven pay you for bringing one soul to Jesus? Are you following? Now, you tell a person a small instruction like, when you come to church, carry one person. Does that mean if you don't carry, for those of you who have not carried anybody, does that mean Fenero won't grow? No. Because it doesn't grow because you carried only one person. It grows by the covenant I have with God. I have a promise with Him that grows this ministry, whether you do it or you don't. But it's important to heaven. Like somebody once gave you life and invited you to a meeting. For you to tell yourself every year, let me give God, when the Bible says bring all your tithes, tell yourself every year, I must at least win 10. Every year. And you can do more, but at least tell yourself, if I can sell 10 routers, okay? If I can sell five decoders, if I can sell five insurance, what? Products. How much have I sold for heaven? What would hurt me if I tell this person? Oh, in there they might abuse you. Like the person who sells routers can be abused. In there, they might insult you. That the person who sells routers can be insulted. In there, they might show you attitude. Like the person who sells a router. But it's their bread at home. You see? Get one person and win them to the kingdom. That's an example. If they come and refuse, that's okay. They stay. You can tell heaven, God, I'm selling for you. Imagine the people who come to Jesus and you see somebody you brought to church come to having knowledge of our Lord's service, Jesus Christ. How much do you think heaven would pay you? Do you understand? Now, you find a person willing to sleep the whole night and sit on a bus for hours to earn 3 million, 4 million, 10 million, 5 million, 100 million. Yet heaven would pay them more. I remember even before some of us went into full-time, we were banking. But there was a portion of income I knew every month had to go to God. Every month. Because I'll say, God, in my work, let this sweat now translate to the kingdom. And let me fund those that are preaching the gospel. Are you following what I'm saying? So, where are your priorities? If you can sleep hungry for mammon, you were working and forgot to have lunch, but you tell that individual, next week we are fasting, and by midday they have passed out. They can't see. You even ask them, what's your name? And they are Ronald, and they say, no, I'm Michael. They but when they are running for a business deal, even if they don't eat the whole day, but at the end of the day, they are going to receive hundreds of millions. They'll leave anything for the kingdom. Where are you spiritually? Who understands what I'm saying? But that instruction came from the altar. It was to make you an efficient salesman, but it tried you in the least. 
carry one person to church. You see what I'm saying? So you see how those things, but how does that connect? You're not pondering, you're not thinking. It does connect, it's all related. Those little small things we give. If you know me as a man of God, I'm not an overbearing person. I don't think I've ever asked for anything personal as a need from any man here. I've never asked for anything. I don't need any of that. There's one person I'll never forget. On my birthday, they went and won four souls. And then they sent me a message on the names of the people they won. And I wept. I wept because people were buying me cakes and things and shoes and what. And there's, quite honestly, there's none you can buy me that I don't have. But somebody remembered that I was born and they went and won four souls. And I realized that because my date of birth existed in the world, another man was given life. There was nothing I would compare. That's the best gift that person ever gave me. So in weeping, I was weeping because somebody loved God that much to thank God for me and won four souls on my life. Some of you, you're not preaching, but the day you die and we come to your funeral, we shall win those souls. So you have the choice. Either, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I had an uncle who lived like a Muslim, got to the end of his life and got born again. End of his life. I looked after him, treated him, gave every best treatment and he went to be with the Lord. We got to bury And they tell me, you apostle, preach. Ah, guys, preach. I got this mic. I preached. Got more than 40 people saved. <laughs> on a man's casket. So some of you, if you want witness when you are alive, we shall talk about you in your casket. And people will come to Christ on your funeral because they will give us opportunity to speak. Why should you wait for that? No. Do it when you're still alive. Such that on the day of your funeral, when you're gone, eh, we don't need to speak. Uh -uh. We just need to say, those of you who knew this man and you want to be born again, come. And they just walk there. <laughs> A life well lived. If you want witness alive, you'll witness dead, but you will witness. So choose. Number one, here, take every instruction of the altar. And as you mature, you receive even the silent instructions. I have a guy in this ministry. I went somewhere to visit a certain pastor recently. And I phoned them. They were doing some wonderful work. And I told this pastor in a secret, I took him on the side. Nobody was watching. And I took this pastor on the side. And I said, the Lord has told me that we as Fanero are going to give you 100 million for your ministry. It was in private. Pastor said, oh, God bless you. Then I sat back in the car. And as we we're going, this guy called me and said, Papa, I need to talk to you. I have a feeling you pledged money with that man. He wasn't there. He said, I have a feeling you pledged money on that church. I know you. And indeed, I pledged 100 million. This guy said, I also have money to give to that ministry. I said, why? Because you gave. If you gave, God must have spoken something. Now, what made this guy special was he picked a silent instruction. He picked a silent instruction. That's maturity. Such people don't struggle. Such people's children are different. You understand what I'm saying? Because I did in silence and a man picked it what I did in the secret. Now that's unique. So some instructions might not be loud. 
They might not be loud. They might be very quiet. But learn to receive instruction. Some instructions are going to come as rebuke. Receive rebuke too. Your pastor might call you and tell you, no, you're doing wrong. This is not right. And then somebody says, no, I've left the church. How can you talk to me? No, I'm trying to save you. This young man almost died. I warned him and I looked stupid to him. He almost lost his life. So receive instruction with meekness. You never know what God is saving you from. Number one, learn to receive instruction. Number two, that verse is 34. Blessed is the man that heareth me. Value the voice of God above any human voice. And let me add this also. Always reconcile what God tells you with Scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because some people say God has spoken, but when you hear what they've spoken, it's contrary to Scripture. You understand? Reconcile everything you're told by a man with what God has told you. I give an example. Somebody approached me and bad-mouthed a certain man of God. Bad words. So they told me, Apostle Grace, now eh, you have to stop connecting to this man immediately. Then I told them, you see, I cannot connect to a man because you told me. I have to hear God. I cannot connect or disconnect because he told me. I have to hear a voice. He might be wrong to you, but what does heaven say? So I waited on God and one day the Lord told me, no, that's the man you should connect to. I said, eh. how amazing the world is. But what you think might not be what God thinks. Okay, you've told me that this sister is a thief. I will not believe it, neither will I disqualify it. I don't disqualify, not believe it. I stay neutral. Why? Because I want to hear God tell me that she's a what? Thief. If he hasn't told me, I don't care how, because I'm also a man of God and I hear God. I'm now helping some of you who are hard for, like you never hear God for yourself. You understand? They think for you. Hear God and reconcile it with his word. Number three and lastly, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Keep a daily fellowship with God. Fellowship with God daily. You can begin with five minutes. You can even say, no, Lord, I'll give you three minutes, but let's have them together and allow that to grow. Devotionals come every morning. Tell yourself every morning before I go to do anything, I'll first hear what God is saying. Begin my day that way. And after reading that devotional, I'll attend to everything in the world. For me, my times are usually 3 a.m., 4, up to maybe 3 into 7 a.m. I'm usually awake with God. Every day of my life, there's never been a day I have not related with God. I can change the time. Sometimes I can come into 6. Sometimes I can come into 8 a.m. They can come into 4 because I'm not subject to time. But every 24-hour day of my life, I am waiting on God every day. Now, let me help some of you. He didn't say pray every day. I'm not talking about you going in the presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Wait, Matthew, I'm still trying to talk. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew, as I was saying, Netflix, our 10 hour World Cup has come. Waiting at the posts, watching and waiting. Have a moment of silence just to hear and see every day. 
to God, it's more meaningful and better to hear and watch than to speak. Never forget that. Live along what people have convinced you. This boy say, Jesus. Yeah, where is the fruit of their prayer? Yeah, I told people, you can pray for hours and pray and I can sit and speak in tongues for maybe two hours or three and then wait the rest of the hour or wait for three hours and pray for one hour. And then we bring a lame man and I show you power. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because when you learn to watch and wait, the world will become a replay. Because you watched. The present world will become a replay. Who has understood what I just said? The present world will become a replay. Everything will happen like you saw or heard. You'll always move ahead of your time. Waiting means create some time alone. It's not like so complicated, no. If you can't do it alone and you might be disconnected, let's get times where you just put on worship music and keep quiet. Even if it's 10 minutes, even if it's the last minutes into your sleep, but just put on some few minutes and just wait. Just be with God, quiet there. Not on Facebook, not on Twitter, not on WhatsApp, not on Skype, not communicating, not just there. Just on your bed laying like this and think of His goodness. Say 10, 15 minutes, 30 until you go to sleep. Oh, because when you learn to meditate, you start to hear God so deeply. Some of you, you're so fast, so fast. If I tell you, now you're so busy that you don't even have time to pray. God says when you do that, verse 35, if you find me, you will find life and you'll obtain the favor of God. But if you sin against him, you wrong your own soul and all who hate him love death. We're entering into great days. Very great days. And we don't want to lose any one of you. I'm not saying leaving the church. No, a man can leave. That's not the point. But I'm saying understanding. Wandering off the way of understanding. We don't want to lose any of you. Keep your salt and savory. Keep your maturity. Keep your hunger. Keep your thirst. And keep available for God. Some of you, you used to serve God when you are poor. You loved God when you were a young girl in high school because you didn't have anything but Him. Now you have a job. You're so busy. You are so rich to arrange chairs in the church. You're too proud to help a street kid because you've been elevated by God. Some of you are satisfied with so little because God would have given you nations. You're only boasting because you have a house on a hill somewhere. What about the men who control the nations? Elon Musk lives in a one-bedroom house. The richest man in the world because he found a purpose bigger than the mansion that some die for. He lives for something bigger than him. That's a liberated man. Yet he doesn't know God yet as he should. Are you following what I'm saying? 
never be too busy for God. Never be too rich for God. Never be too beautiful for God. Never be too married for God. Never be too parenthood for God. Never be too committed in your project for God. Never be too politically connected for God. Stay available. Stay available. So my prayer to you as we close, it's in three words, only three words, to summarize everything I could have prayed for hours for you. God, help us. In Jesus' name. If you're sick in your body, I decree healing right now in the name of Jesus. If you've been struggling in your house, in your marriage, in your children, this is the time to receive your miracle. Now, finances, God is restoring. Everything you've been dealing with is living now. Do you just need to receive? Remember how you heard and received. Deliverance is taking place. Fibroids are living in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Wherever you are and you say, today I want to be born again, put your hand on your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word today. I have heard and made the decision to receive you in my heart as one who died for my sins and was raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.